Welcome to our Trade Academy podcast series in which our experts simplify complex concepts involved in international trade and trade finance. In this episode, you will learn about credits versus contract, document data, clean transport documents, along with the legalization of shipping documents. The next is Article 14, which states that data in a document, when read in context with the credit, the document itself and international standard banking practice need not be identical to but must not conflict with data in that document, any other stipulated document or the credit. General principle for all documents is that the inconsistency in the manner of expressing the data does not necessarily create a discrepancy provided there is no conflict of data. This provision is beneficial to the beneficiary, but it is important for you as an applicant or, or importer to be aware of this. So we now have a new standard to be followed for reviewing documents. That is, a conflict is not the absence of a piece of data, but data that is saying something different. Let's look at this example where one scenario shows the absence of a piece of data versus conflicting data. Take a few seconds to understand the difference of the two scenarios. The absence of a piece of data would not make documents discrepant while the conflicting data would. Now in this example we have first is LC calls for shipment of thousand pairs of cotton garments. Invoice states thousand pairs of cotton garments. Certificate states cotton garments only, whereas bill of lading also shows thousand pairs of cotton garments. Data is not identical. Data is missing, but does not conflict in this case. So document would not be discrepant. However, in the next example where it says LC calls for shipment of thousand pairs of trousers, invoice states thousand pairs of trousers, certificate of origin states trousers, bill of lading states thousand shirts. Now here clearly it is conflicting and therefore the documents would be discrepant. Now moving on to the next one. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Well, that, that was an interesting uh, article about conflict versus uh, missing information. Most, uh, most banks who do not know this would actually use a missing information as a conflict and point that out, that out as a discrepancy. Our clients here would now know that a missing information is not necessarily a discrepancy. So that was great. Thanks, Mona. Okay, let's go into Article 27, Clean Transport Documents. Bank will only accept a clean transport document. Exception, if applicant knows the type of goods, is of the kind that usually attracts wording as to the status of the goods or their packaging, etc. For example, in steel import, it is usual to see the bill of lading states atmospheric rust or rusty. Then allowance should be made in the credit for such acceptable clauses, thereby modifying this rule. A definition, what is a clean transport document? A clean transport document is one that bears no clause or 
notation which declares a defective condition of the goods or their packaging. Even if called for in the credit, the transport document need not be marked clean. For example, even if the credit states clean on board, the transport document need not be marked clean. If a transport document does not bear any clause or notation regarding a defective condition of the goods or their packaging, then it is a clean transport document. Some of the examples of an unclean transport document would be one that bears a clause as 10 drums of oil but 5 leaking. That's clearly a unclean uh, transport document. Then another example is two cars with their windscreens broken. Such transport documents, such information on the transport document would clearly indicate that it is an unclaimed transport document. I'll take the next one. So before we move on to the question and answer session, we would like to highlight four most important areas around which importers usually ask questions. So we start with legalization. Now, what is legalization? Legalization of shipping documents is required as per Ministry of Finance on all goods that are coming in UAE. Now, there are exemptions, for example, if you are a free zone company and goods are coming to a free zone port, then you are exempted from payment legalization, from paying the legalization, that is. Legalization can be paid by either beneficiary or applicant. All banks in UAE have received guidance from Ministry of Finance to release shipping documents only after ensuring legalization is done. Hence, you may have received emails from your client service managers asking about an import bill or open account transaction, whether legalization is to be collected or not. Next is a BL consigned to HSBC. Some banks want to keep control on goods by having BL consigned to themselves. In certain cases, beneficiaries also find it very comforting to consign the goods to a bank rather than an applicant that they are dealing for the first time. However, in HSBC, we do not encourage issuing uh, BL consigned to us since as per UCP, banks are only concerned with documents and not goods. Therefore, if your beneficiary is requesting to have the BL consigned to HSBC, Please advise them otherwise. There are cases when we receive documents consigned to us despite issuing the LC asking for the BL to be consigned to order or consigned to the applicant. In such cases, we will seek uh, internal exceptional approvals which takes some time to obtain. And when this happens, we face the uh, next most important questions, which is that the goods are at port and incurring damage. So please ensure that uh, to, to avoid this, uh, you need to ensure that you have appropriate period of presentation in the DC. So if the shipment timeline is lesser than the period of presentation provided in the LC, then it is most likely that the goods will arrive at the port whilst we will still be waiting for the documents to arrive. Now, the next is charges. Um, who should be bearing what charge? Is reimbursement supposed to be paid by the beneficiary only? Uh, should the applicant pay the confirming bank charges or not? Well, 
technically speaking, all charges are open for payment by anyone. So be it applicant or beneficiary, they both need to decide who is going to pay which charges. However you're comfortable, whatever suits your business model, you can go with that. It does not have to be a specific set of charges are only to be paid by beneficiary or only to be paid by applicant. So that is all from us now. And we have come to the end of the training and we will take on the questions. Good stuff. Thank you both to Mona and to, to Royston for taking us through that. I hope you all found it useful. On to the first question. So Mona, let, let's go to you first. So letters of credit, commercial invoices are often not signed by importers timely or they use it as leverage to delay release of payment. Is countersigning of commercial invoices mandatory? Or can this term be avoided while deciding the terms of the LC? Right. Countersigning commercial invoice is required only for local shipments where we do not have any other transport document. So when the um, applicant picks up the goods from the beneficiary's warehouse directly and there is no transport document that you would have. So then in that case, you would only have commercial invoice and delivery note. Now, since bank is interested in seeing movement of goods, how would you evidence movement of goods if you do not have a bill of lading or airway bill or a truck consignment note? So when these documents are not there and the only thing that the bank can rely on is the countersigning of commercial invoice and delivery note. So basically, when the applicant comes to collect the goods from the beneficiary's warehouse or whichever point the handover of goods is happening, that is when the beneficiary is uh, expected to get the commercial invoice and the delivery note countersigned by the applicant saying that the goods have been received in good order and condition. When that document is countersigned by both parties, that shows that the title of goods have been moved from beneficiary to applicant. And on that basis, the issuing bank will go ahead and make the payment. So this is something which happens for local shipments, for local uh, DCs. So in that case, if you want to avoid, because yes, I completely understand that uh, the applicants can delay signing of delivery note. If you have any other arrangement, like, like where the beneficiary gives the goods to the applicant and is in wait for them to sign. To avoid that, the only other way is if you can have a transport document like truck consignment note in place then. Because if you are using your own method of transportation, then you need to have very clear terms with your applicant that they need to sign it on time. Or they need to sign it the very moment when you're handing over the goods to them. Because otherwise, as a beneficiary, you are giving them the ability to delay the payment or delay signing the commercial invoice and delivery note. And this kind of things does happen. So to avoid that, please make sure that either you have a very clear terms with them that they need to sign then and there when the goods are given to them. Or if you know this customer very well, that this applicant is very good and you've been dealing with them for over years and you can completely trust them, then you can go ahead and I mean, continue doing the same thing. But if it's a first time transaction, better go with a truck consignment note where you are in control and you can submit the documents whenever required. Thank you, Mona. Um, if I can just borrow you just for, for a couple more questions, both related to bills of lading. First one is, what is the difference between ocean bills of lading and multimodal bills of lading? And why is HSBC not accepting bills of lading that have been consigned 
in the name of HSBC. Okay, uh, regarding the bills of lading consigned in the name of HSBC, right? We used to receive these kind of bills of lading, I think, um, long back, maybe three, four years back, and we used to accommodate this. We used to endorse at the back of it and uh, release the documents. But uh, as mentioned earlier, because as per UCP, technically, a bank is not liable or is not uh, concerned with the goods as it is. So we do not want the goods to be consigned to us because technically then we become the uh, interim owner of that goods and we don't want to be that. We would want it to be either with the beneficiary itself who can issue the BL to the order of consigner, whichever way works for them, or they can keep it directly consigned to the applicant. HSBC does not want to have the title of goods for that interim period. Therefore, we are only concerned with the documents only. So we are following the spirit of UCP and we do not want to have the entitlement of goods for that period. And with regards to ocean bill of lading and multimodal, ocean bill of lading is used to ship goods through seas, both nationally and internationally. That is it. So it's like any other normal uh, kind of bill of lading where you have internationally, if uh, there are two different states connected by sea, you would use that. If you're using that route, then that's your ocean bill of lading nationally and internationally, obviously, you have the bill of ladings, right? Multimodal, as the name suggests, there are two different modes of shipment. So probably from the warehouse, you are shipping or moving the goods via truck, let's say. So that would be your road transport. And from the truck, you take it to the port. And from there, it either goes via sea shipment or it can also go by the air shipment. So then multimodal as in you're having two different modes of shipment. One is a road transport. The other is either the sea uh, shipment or air shipment. So two different routes. That is what multimodal or combined transport bill of lading means. Thank you very much, Mona. Uh, Royston, over to you. A question on how come SGT is a funded facility? Is it similar to a guarantee? Thanks, Ben. It's a really a good question. And I know lots of customers have this question coming through to us. So a shipping guarantee is not a demand guarantee. Okay, I'm going to say that again. A shipping guarantee is not a demand guarantee. Demand guarantee is tender bonds, performance bonds, and advance payment. This falls within the uh, import space, which is issued usually for a, a bill. And let's take uh, an NLC bill that was accepted. And a DPB, as we explained earlier, is earmarked under funded lines because the bank has now given its promise to pay. And then it becomes a funded line because at one given point of time, the bank will uh, pay out of its own pocket if the applicant does not have money. So it becomes a funded responsibility, a funded liability for the bank. The shipping guarantee is issued for and on behalf of that DPB or the bill under the LC. So anything that is linked to that particular funded product, which is a DPB, will also be earmarked under the funded lines. I hope I have answered that question. Just a summary, it's not like a demand guarantee. It's only a guarantee that is issued for an already accepted payment to be made. Therefore, a shipping guarantee is earmarked under funded lines. Thank you very much, Royston. That's it for this episode. Please join us in the next instalment, which will be focusing on exports and export finance. There'll also be explanations of the various articles covered by the International Chamber of Commerce's 
latest version of the Uniform Customs and Practice for Document Credits, that's UCP 600.